listening to Beyond the Game. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. I love everything about it. The, the, the beards, the handshakes. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. We would be honored if you would join us. From our cozy studio here in Rochester, New York, welcome to the Beyond the Game program. On behalf of Zach Barletta, who is off this week, I'm Rick Benson. Glad to have you with us for what is the final show of 2018. If you're still celebrating, and a very Merry Christmas to you. And as we look forward, I hope you are ready for the brand new year ahead. Check out our website, btgprogram.com, or on social media, it's at btgprogram. Coming up today, we have a Pseudo Encore presentation. As with Zach away, I will introduce to you two segments that we've previously done. This first segment is from our December 14th program. We talk a little college football, going from talking about coaches Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh to wondering if not playing in their team's bowl games in order to prepare for the NFL draft is akin to quitting on your team. We'll go from there into a spiritual application and a challenge to be fully committed to God. Here's that segment from December 14th. Welcome back to the show. This is the Beyond the Game program. So glad you could be with us. We're talking sports, but we're doing it from a faith-based point of view. As you know, Urban Meyer has announced he's retiring. He's stepping down after Ohio State's upcoming appearance in this year's Rose Bowl game. And he cited a number of reasons for doing this, among which, of course, are continued health concerns. And he's had to make this decision before, retire due to his health. And he's always come back because of that passion that he has for coaching. And I'm not saying it won't happen again, but I don't think we're going to see him on the sidelines anymore. He's got these health issues that are serious health issues, a brain cyst that causes, uh, among other things, these serious headaches due to the pressure he puts on himself. And there is a huge amount of pressure as a head coach of one of the top football programs in the country. But since he's made this retirement announcement, as unfair as it is, some people in sports talk media and even more idiots on social media have speculated that he's using his health as an excuse, that he is lying to protect his legacy, which clearly took a hit earlier this year when he was suspended four games at the start of the season due to his lack of action in dealing with an assistant coach who had domestic violence charges levied against him. And look, these were serious charges. I think Ohio State let him off the hook. I think Urban Meyer was wrong, but none of that matters. None of that matters. It is highly irresponsible unless you are in that circle of people with which whom Urban Meyer talks to about his health concerns. It is irresponsible for you, especially if you consider yourself a journalist, to speculate on it. My son-in-law and I were watching that Michigan-Ohio State game, and we were talking at the time about the possibility and even addressed that we thought it's likely that both coaches from that game are gone. And now that Urban Meyer has announced his, his retirement, I'm wondering about Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. And I think there's even more pressure. Look, he's not had the success at Michigan that he would have liked. I'm sure of that, especially against Ohio State. But at least, and I'm not saying he makes excuses, but at least he always had that uh, excuse sort of built in that 
one of the all-time great college coaches was on the other sideline. And now with Urban Meyer gone, I wonder if that puts more pressure on Harbaugh. Like I said, I don't think this is why he would walk away, but I just wonder if it puts more pressure on him. And it seems like every time they lose to Ohio State, the heat gets turned up a little higher. But the biggest reasons I wonder about Harbaugh leaving Michigan is, man, there's some pretty tempting job openings that are going to be available in the NFL. And I'm not saying he's going to be offered them. How do I know? But that Green Bay job, I mean, it's the Green Bay Packers. That's Aaron Rodgers. That has to be tempting. If that job offer were to come his way, boy, I think you'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't you? And then you got the New York Jets. And, of course, it's the Jets. We all want to giggle about the Jets. But it's New York. And it's it's a team with a promising young quarterback, uh, not really a successful history. And if he could come in there and get that quarterback to lead that team to some successful level, Oh, he'd be a legend. I just think it's something interesting to watch in the months ahead. But getting back to Meyer, though, I saw a report, as you might expect, that some Ohio State commitments from the 2020 recruiting class have decommitted. This is 2020. This is not the kids who have signed a national letter of intent who is, if I understand it right, if you've signed an NLI, you have to go to the school you you signed that intention to go to Otherwise, you lose lose your scholarship. You lose the financial aid. But these kids, as far as I know, 2020 class, they're just making a verbal commitment. And I know the media covers this, but I kind of giggle about it because why are you asking a 16-year-old kid or younger what school they want to play athletics at? I mean, these guys don't even know for sure what girl they like, do they? How many times do you hear of players changing their mind? Now, I look, if the coach retires, gets fired, I think there's more than good reason to reconsider. But this summer, I think there was a kid who committed to Virginia, within 20 minutes had decommitted, and if I'm not mistaken, recommitted again. I'm not demeaning the kid. I'm not demeaning his ability to make a serious commitment. I'm just wondering, why are you putting this kid in that position? Let him be a kid. Who cares until he signs that national letter of intent? And I do think it makes sense when a coach retires or gets fired. In fact, I think it makes so much sense that maybe if you're any scholarship athlete, you should be given an opportunity or a time frame to be able to opt out if your coach is, is removed. Uh, consider yourself a running back and you're playing for, you've gone to a school, you're playing for a coach who's a smash mouth, run first guy. Well, he gets fired in favor of a pass oriented guy. Well, that's going to affect the amount of times you carry the ball. It's going to affect your draft status maybe even how many plays you're in the game. Uh, maybe you should have an opportunity to reconsider going to another school. But one of the commitment levels of college football players I, I am questioning, and I can't get my hands around this thing, how I feel about it. Players, this, this trend where players are choosing not to play in their bowl game because they don't want to risk injury and they want to prepare for the NFL draft. How is that not quitting on your team? How is it not bailing on your teammates? Listen, if you are worried about the draft, getting hurt for the draft, and if you are that draft worthy, then you are probably an impact player on your team. And now you're going to bail in the bowl game? And I guess what I don't understand is why is the bowl game so insignificant as compared with the last three or four regular season games? What if a team had become bowl eligible 
and then lost the last two or three games. They're not ranked. They're maybe finished the season seven and six, but they've been bowl eligible for a while. Those last few games had no meaning. You were already bowl eligible. You're not ranked. You're not figuring into the college football playoffs. To me, the bowl game would be more exciting. Travel with your teammates. Have some fun. Go someplace and play a game probably against a team you don't see very often. I just, to me, it's quitting. I think it's a terrible trend. I don't know the answer to it because certainly I can't really say what someone else should do in that situation. Personally, I think you should play, but that's really up to you. But I think it's a terrible trend, and I think at some point you have to address it if you're college football, especially if your best players are saying, you know what, I'm not going to play in this game. The sponsors who put on those bowls, uh, they're not going to take too lightly to it. I'm sure of that. But I think there's a challenge there for Christians. I think too many Christians opt out as if it was a college bowl game. First Kings chapter eight, verse 61 says, let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. There are millions of Christians in America, and yet come election day, maybe half of them will find their way to the polls. There are millions of Christians in America, and the divorce rate among Christians is not all that different from the divorce rate among the secular world. And for that matter, if there are so many people who claim to believe in Christ, why are we not having more of an impact on that lost world around it? I believe it's because many Christians are simply not truly committed. Take the fact that on any given Sunday morning, and any Sunday, there are empty pews in churches all over the country. Where is the commitment? If we truly believe as the Bible says in Acts 4.12, that there is none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, then why are not more Christians sharing that message of Jesus Christ and God's love and grace and mercy and see those empty pews get filled? It's because of a lack of commitment. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Real commitment does not have an on-off switch. Man, it is 365 days a year. It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your spiritual life is not a Sunday thing. It's it's as much a Sunday thing as it is a Monday through Saturday thing. If we're really committed to God, it will show. And speaking of church attendance specifically, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should not forsake gathering together, while at the same time that passage reminds us of God's faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whether it's something that distracts us from church itself or something that distracts us from sharing our faith or growing in our faith, if we're not committed, it ends up becoming uh, uh, complacent. And we end up having a, a compromise of our convictions. We need to be committed. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 says, But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, 
and it becomes unfruitful. God looks for commitment. God looks for those who are committed, and he wants to do a, a great work in them. He wants to accomplish a mighty work through them. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely is. We were put on this earth to have an impact on those around us. By serving others, we're actually serving God. Let me encourage you to renew your commitment to him. And remember, remember how committed he was to you even before you made a decision to follow him. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our gifts, our abilities, even our time and talent, those things aren't given to us for our own benefit, but they're given to us to use for the benefit of others. I want to challenge you, renew that commitment to the Lord. In fact, I hope that's not just a challenge. I hope you find that encouraging. Thanks again for being with us. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. Sports talk without any of the trash talk. Because of the holiday week, it's an encore presentation of BTG. This next segment is from our November 30th show. Zach and I will share why we believe that today's sports fans are privileged to witness firsthand the greatest era ever in sports history. And that discussion will lead us also to talk a little bit about how this is just as great a time to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy it. Here's that segment from November 30th. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, this is the Beyond the Game program, talking sports from a faith-based point of view. I asked the rhetorical question, really, at the top of the show, are we privileged 
to witness the greatest sports era of all time? And I would assume that my even asking that, you already have surmised that, yeah, I, I think we are. Perhaps the first and foremost evidence of that is the incredible number of all-time great players. Hey, LeBron James comes to mind. In my opinion, he's the greatest ever. You want to say Jordan, okay. He's, what, in his 18th season or something like that? And he's still dominating a league that is star-studded top to bottom. It's amazing to me. You can look at a guy like Roger Federer, who has won 19 major tournaments. Certainly, Serena Williams is the greatest female tennis player of all time. She's got something combined, singles and doubles, something like 40 titles. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. Within the past decade, we've seen great Olympians like Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. Baseball, you got Mike Trout. Soccer, you got Ronaldo. You got Messi. Hockey has so many young guys, but they seem to have so much talent. And so it's just, it's an incredible time. To be a sports fan, I get it. Every generation had their fair share of great players, but beyond players, you have just the coverage. I used to watch Yankee games on a black and white TV, you know, that was full of snow and lines. And Mm -hmm. today's sports fan is so spoiled with picture quality, they may not even know what I mean when I refer to snow in the picture. Not, Not even just picture quality, but so many options for places to watch. We used to have True. to watch the one or two games that run. You can stream them on your computer. You can watch them on Amazon. You can watch them on Twitter. You can watch them on your phone. You can, If you want to watch a game, you can find a game somewhere to watch. You know, the stadiums themselves are so equipped with giant video boards and monitors throughout the stadium. You're not going to miss anything if you go get peanuts. Mm-hmm. If you go to the bathroom, they got monitors in there in some stadiums. It's yeah. You're not going to miss anything. Social media allows you to interact with players like never before. It's an incredible time to be a sports fan. I don't think there's ever been an era like it. No, and I think a big part of it for me is the quality of the athletes themselves, where the athletes today and the technology that they have at their disposal for training and for health and nutrition and stuff is unmatched in history. And the athletes themselves are bigger, faster, stronger. You know, we hear it all the time, but I I can't think of an era where the athletes were ever just as incredibly talented as they are right now. I was having coffee the other day with with a friend of mine, and similarly, he was making the case that this is a great time to be a believer in Christ. And many Christians may counter that. They may point out the challenges that they face in this society, but my friend's always been a glass-half-full guy, always been an encourager, and makes him such a great guy. You want to be around these type of people. But he points out that you can pull up videos or podcasts from preachers all over the world. You don't have to be limited to your local church's preacher, although there's nothing wrong with that. But now all week long, you could be fed by people from anywhere. You can pull up anybody that you want. If you're a student of the Word of God, there's so many tools available. There's such information is is limitless. You can find definitions for Greek and Hebrew words at the touch of a button. You Commentaries from respected scholars, uh, Books can be downloaded just with the touch of an icon. It's amazing. It's a great time that leaves us really, in my opinion, without excuse for not growing in our faith. And yet so many believers never seem to get beyond that young believer stage, never seem to grow into spiritual maturity. I was telling my Bible class recently that I feel like there's four levels of spiritual maturity. And listen, I'm sure I picked this up somewhere along the way. This is not my own original thought, so I'm not taking credit for something that 
I doubtless have heard somewhere else, but there's four types. There's the new believer, the young believer, the mature believer, and then what I would call the disciple maker. And the new believers obviously just came to faith. But the young believer and the mature believer, it's not a matter of how old they are or how long they've been professing their faith. It's one has grown, one has applied themselves, and the other one may have been saved for many, many years, but has never grown to maturity. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? If you don't put action to your faith, by sharing it with others, by regularly studying the Word of God, by times of daily prayer, by serving in a ministry or ministries, among other things, and you'll remain a young believer, only able to handle the milk of the Word, as Paul says, never really graduating to that point where you're chewing on the meat that I believe God wants to show you. A mature believer has done that. They're actively involved in their church. They are studying the Word of God, all those things I listed a moment ago, though they may not be necessarily focused on disciple-making. But I, I think that's what I believe that Jesus is calling us all to do. He says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not criticizing anyone that's not focused on disciple-making, but I truly believe the great greatest impact we can have in our community, on other communities, on individual lives, is investing in people the way Jesus invested in his disciples. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul had these relationships in his life. He had a relationship on the one hand with Barnabas, who was the more mature believer. He invested in Paul. He set examples. He taught him. On the other hand, Paul had this relationship with Timothy, where he was the teacher, where he was the example setter. And I think, regardless of how young or old you are, we all need to have these relationships in our life. We should be actively pursuing them. Maybe it's a weekly get-together. It doesn't have to be. It just needs to be somewhat regularly so that regular enough so that there's some accountability, so that you have an opportunity to hold one another accountable. It, maybe you get together in person over lunch. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's time set aside for a Skype phone call. Maybe it's just a regular phone call, whatever it is, an hour or so where you meet with somebody, you go over, you know, a little bit of small talk, of course, uh, but then you're going to go talk about what you read in your Bibles. You're going to talk about the victories and the setbacks you had in your walk with Christ. Many churches today have discipleship programs, but a friend of mine has convinced me that the preferred phrase for that, I really like disciple making because it it describes what it truly is. We're, we're making people who are focused who will go out and do the same thing make disciples of Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 16, we read about Jesus talking to his followers. He's telling them, which by the way includes us, what he expects, and that's that you should go and bring forth fruit and fruit that should last. Investing in others is a way to produce fruit that will last, last into eternity, will not spoil. 
the goal of a disciple maker is spiritual multiplication, make other disciples. The first step in that process, of course, is to accept the free gift of mercy and grace that God offers, made possible by the death of Christ on the cross and his subsequent resurrection three days later. On the cross, he paid the penalty of our sins. Thanks to his mercy, God doesn't give us what we deserve because he gave that to Jesus. And because of his grace, God gives us what we don't deserve, the rewards earned by Jesus. How do you get in on that gift, that free gift that God offers of love and mercy and grace? He asks just this, that you admit your sin and seek forgiveness. Which, by the way, forgiveness of sins is only found through Christ. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray to God. Admit your sin and your guilt. Tell him you believe he died on the cross for you. Tell him you believe he was buried and rose again and ask him to forgive you and help you in repenting from sin. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we can help, please reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com. Maybe it's even just to ask us to pray for you. Thanks for being with us with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's program and the conclusion of this encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. Remember that you can help us in our goal of using Sports Talk Radio to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as sharing biblical applications from the world of sports, to listeners all around the world each and every week. Your financial gifts help keep the Beyond the Game program on the air. Please consider a financial contribution to this radio ministry. To make a donation, visit our website, btgprogram.com. Dot com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. We do hope that you have a happy and safe New Year's holiday. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody.